So the subject for the evening talk is materiality and spirituality. Uh, I've been coming, if I may say, to the States quite uh, regularly for uh, twice a year since uh, 1977. Jack, Jack Cornfield, one of the founders of Spirit Rock, uh, invited me and in that year to come to IMS on the East Coast and then James Barras, another co-teacher in the Bay Area, asked me to, in the early 1980s, to come here to California. And as with anywhere in the world that we visit and have some friendship and much affection for, various places leave an impact on us, leave impressions and we find that when we go elsewhere, we go to our home or to another country, we notice and observe ourselves reporting to our friends about our impressions of different places and different people. And so I have my uh, composite of various impressions of my visits here. And what I've noticed in myself in uh, speaking of my uh, visits to the States, both east and west coast as a kind of summary of my impression there is that I feel that life in fact is much harder for people here than in several other uh, western countries that I visit. And in my communications in talking with various people I think that is, a, as it were, the core thought of my, of the impact that coming to America makes to me. And I have the opportunity through the meetings, through the inquiry sessions, the small groups and the one-to-one -one meetings, people to hear stories of stories of people's lives and experiences. And I have to say that the stories which I hear in the U.S. are often much more strong, or intense, or painful, or sometimes full of grief or torture for different individuals and friends and families, much more so than I hear in my contact and communications with other people from other parts of the, parts of the world. And it seems sometimes with America that it's a an extraordinary place which, in a way, uh, the way I think about it is, as it, it is that it appears to offer so much. And yet, what it offers, the promise that it offers, never gets fulfilled. And I think somehow, in the diversity of all of this, there is a, a loss and one of the losses, amongst the many losses, is a, the loss of community, which a number of you refer to and speak to a lot of, a loss of intercontact between people and situations of one person and one person's life or family life become terribly disassociated and terribly individualistic. And because this is often, I think, prized, this individualism, is prized so highly 
I think it makes it rather uh, extraordinarily difficult for the, the sharing of the pains of life, the sharings of the sufferings of life to be, as it were, distributed more. And I think life in the US, and just from the, the stories, the personal stories which I hear, leaves me with this impression of just how difficult it is, a land full of promise and yet the promise is not being fulfilled or reached or just touched upon from time to time. And I think part of that, of course, reflects and, and show, shows itself in the materialism, and I don't wish to speak about it in a negative or, or judgmental way, and it's not quite often that people and particularly in the circles here that we move in and through, are materialistic in the sense of actually having a great deal. In the various homes, when Henrietta and I and Eric come here, that we stay in, are very similar and comparable in terms of income, rent, uh, number of possessions, and so forth. There's not a, a great disparity in actual living style. I mean, there are extremes. Some people are extremely poor who are in this room and, and have incredible struggles to make ends meet. And there are other people who are here who are affluent in every sense of the world. But as a kind of general overall impression, it's not that the, the standard of living, the materialism of people in our circles here, is so different. But I think what occurs to me again and again is that there is some feeling inside of people which is stronger, of the lack of. It's, it's the, the not having and the liking to have. So it's not actually in the, in the, the materialism of possessions and the pursuit of a lot of money, etc. But it's, it's the inner emotional event which I hear, of not having and, and feeling of some gap. And there's sometimes an inordinate amount of pressure upon people to be materialistic. And therefore generate a kind of ongoing day-to-day -day dissatisfaction with one's life, even though one's life is truly in accord with spiritual principles, with moderation in living, in, in conscious lifestyle, but the gap becomes the torture. And so sometimes it's not so much giving up materialism in, as I say, in a general way in the circles that we move in and through, but I think it, it, there's some exploration of the gap that is being made here, and in a very generalised way, I think the gap is much bigger for you here in the US than I find in Germany, in Sweden, in, in Italy, in England, in Australia and other Western places that I visit. And I think what happens with the gap there that's, that is established for some people and the kind of underlying dissatisfaction, I think part of it is that there, you don't have here the kind of safety net which is available in other countries. 
In other words, there appears to be, from my conversations with you, a greater risk of falling into a real poverty trap because the society itself doesn't give people that support. The political structure, the economic system, in spite of the wealth, doesn't provide it for you in the way that we are familiar with in, the, in Europe and Australia. So when there isn't that feeling of safety, I think it enhances some fear inside that I have to make money, I have to, have, I have to work hard. And it becomes very stressful because the background to the gap has to be fear. Fear of poverty, fear of being turned out in the street, fear of not having anywhere to live, fear of not getting support. And I think it's a, an incredible difficulty for people here in the spiritual life, in wishing to lead a, an intelligent and thoughtful and caring life, to have faith in that because moderation can imply slipping back, can imply being out on the streets. And I think what is necessary in this area very much is that since the government here doesn't appear to be interested in giving people support and, and actively condones poverty by the absence of interest, then I think we, us, you, have to find a supportive networks between people. I think we have to address the poor friends who are struggling hard, the, pe the people who can't make ends meet. I think, we, I think some other alternative has to be found so that the gap itself withers away and we live without fear. It's a hard life in America. The other impact too, which takes place upon us when there is the gap, there is that the impact of the, of the world, the world of the messages especially, the world which keeps generating to our eyes and ears, every advertisement tells us we don't have enough, we need more. Every time that impact takes place and it has its kind of corrosive influence in our life, I think it deadens us. I think it deadens the spirit of our life and what we find is that our thoughts and our ideas and our intentions seem to be so orientated in trying to find a situation in our life which will provide us with some real security. And it seems that we never seem to be able to find that security in the face of the deadening impact on our lives of materialism, consumerism. And it's not unusual, is it, that we see too and that sometimes in the face of that one ex the other extreme appears. And one of the other extremes which appears, and which I think one has to be acutely watchful for in any spiritual awareness, 
is, in a way, the curse, right? the curse of fundamentalism. And I think sometimes when there is a deadening impact, when there is something inside of oneself which says the pursuit and again and again of more and more, and whatever the emotional reason for it is not satisfactory, we look for something deeply and, and with sincerity for something which is not material, which is not born of having to generate something out of ourselves which is of a different kind of order. And one has in the churches, in the religions, East and West and Middle East, one has the impact of messages to stimulate some other sensation which is not material, we call it religious sensation. And it offers something to people, we might not have much regard, we might regard it as fundamentalism, but it offers something to people which the religion of consumerism, successful or unsuccessful, just doesn't provide. And I think it's all too e easy to generate the negativities in both directions. When there is this gap in our life, sometimes I, uh, I just had a, a, a memory of this, and you may have experienced this too. Those of you who have been brought up in uh, religion, and uh, as I was in uh, the church in Roman Catholicism, much of which I have much appreciation for and much of which I most actually don't, <laughs> and recently, just before coming here, I went to a Benedictine monastery with my uh, mother. And my mother's a, a Catholic, and the monastery is called uh, uh, Buckfast Abbey. It's about eight or ten miles from where I live in Totnes in southwest Devon. And the, th the three of us went that is, my, my mother, my uh, daughter, Nashona who's nine years old, and myself. And being a Sunday in midsummer, the place was quite full of... Uh, church was quite full. And the three of us were there at the back of the church as all the seats were full. And the thought which had uh, occurred to me, some people, and I consider myself uh, one of those, feel rather blessed. I've never had what I would call... Uh, uh, boredom in the way that people speak to me of boredom, bored with life, bored with meditation, bored with themselves, bored with their relationships, bored with their job as a kind of ongoing continuity. And this state of boredom with continuity is, I may say, um, nothing uh, which is familiar to me. I have no recollection of this. When I was standing in the church with um, my mother and, uh, and daughter, and my daughter said to me, oh, Daddy, do we have to stand in here? It's so boring. <laughs> and, and I, having for years said when people that talk to me about bored and ask me if I get bored, I've always been able to, to say as honestly as I could see, no, 
just not an experience which I'm familiar with. And then when my young daughter said, said to me, Daddy, I'm so bored. Let's, 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 get, out, let's get out of here. <laughs> then I remembered. This feeling at 10 o'clock mass every Sunday morning. <laughs> it was an incredible revelation. <laughs> and I said, come on, Shauna, let's get out of here. <laughs> and my mother said, where do you think you're going? I said, we're, we're, we're going for a cup of tea. <laughs> so sometimes the impact of a situation on our, on our life, we, whatever, we deny it, we suppress it, we, we forget it. But how easily the contrast in which spiritual life is a life of the spirit. That's what it is, a life with spirit in it. And, uh, and how somehow or other religion can actually negate it. The association with church, for some of us, for me, or for the synagogue, or the mosque, or the ashram, or the vihara, whatever it is, is boredom. Some will say of the retreat too, I can... <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. So, so therefore, sometimes in the impact of the continuity of the same, the residue of that leaves its mark, it leaves its stamp in our life and it's dispiriting and we lose the enthusiasm. And similarly with religion, which in its, I think in its purpose has the express intention of truly offering something different with spirit to all of that. And yet something seems to happen with religion, so not always, but so easily in the course of time, we can't relate to it. It's a foreign world of dogma and language and structure and the presentation of all of that seems, seems to have little meaning for us. And so we find ourselves in a peculiar situation sometimes in our life of not feeling dissatisfied, not feeling satisfied with one area, not feeling satisfied with another, and wondering, well, is there any alternative to all of this? In situations like here, being in a retreat situation, two quite understandable if one has passed through today the very uh, longest day of one's life. That some situations, the sittings or the walking periods, very rarely the lunch one has to note, but certainly the other periods of the day seem to have a, seem to be a state of endurance. It's a state of boredom and disconnection and not relating to. One has said to oneself at various times one is interested in eternity, 
one starts tasting of it in the last ten minutes of the sitting. <laughs> and one feels that perhaps one's interest might wither. <laughs> so sometimes in the situations we come into here, we, we have some expectations of how the situation will be, and then we find ourselves in a world which appears to be markedly different from our other worlds that we move in. Even though there is some acknowledgement inside and from outside to some degree that whoever we are, whatever we are, we bring it into the situation and that's all we can really ever do. And whether we're in the rainforest or in the cave, in the monkhood or the nunhood, whether in the job, whether we live in the city, whether we live in the countryside, whether we're in the church or whether we're in the meditation retreat, the whole of us goes where we go. So sometimes we think the situation in which we're in the, the natural material world sense data coming to us, somehow is markedly different from where we were 48 hours ago or 72 hours ago. And in the situation that we have here, in the reduction of things to a certain simplicity, certain things help to stand out for us. And it's not that the standing out will be and is easy. The purpose of the silence and the stillnesses and the posture is not that we make it easy for any of us, but we contribute to making things stand out. If something stands out, I feel for myself and possibly you do, that even though I don't particularly like what's standing out, and if I had my choice I might well substitute another standing out which I feel much better about, but at least if I stand out, at least I know what's going on. At least there I can face, I can work with, I have some, as it were, material, which tells me something which shows something about life itself. And my concern is in our everyday life, the very busyness of it, and sometimes the franticness of it, just isn't providing us with adequate opportunity for things to stand out. And what happens is, we, ha we end up only allowing something to stand out when the impact of it is really punches, punching us in the guts. Then it stands out. And so we become more and more reliant on a bigger sensation <coughs> to make us stop and look at life. And then it is tragic. Because we're reliant on a sensation to make us question, to make us ask, to make us wonder, to make us take an interest in. And sometimes the question only persists 
as long as the strength of that particular sensation is at work. The deeper questions about life. Do we need that sensation? Do we need the intensity of that loss, that rejection, that separation from what one loves, that disappointment, that bliss, that, that wonder, that incredible upliftment of energy, or whatever, that sensation, the form that it comes in. Are we going to, going to say, I'm going to wait for that, I'm going to rely on that to disturb my mundanity? Today, we, uh, in one of the groups today, which was a very uh, interesting um, time, uh, there was one of the small group meetings, it was the afternoon small group meeting, and as I had mentioned, I think, in fact, to yesterday evening, that the staff, the, the, the managers and cooks and uh, ourselves and the teacher function, I had said to the staff, please, also, as, a, as it's part of an overall team, please come to a meeting, and I suggested they may wish to come to that meeting. And as it uh, happened this afternoon, uh, nearly all came. So we had um, used nearly all of the churches in the chapel there. And having looked at the number of chairs there are, it does indicate something about the state of the religion. And in, so we formed a circle and there were 20, 22 of us at the uh, uh, not-so-small group meeting. And in the, the meeting we had some exploration and we looked at the arising of I, the self-feeling, the subject, object, whatever. And it could have been a part of my uh, responsibilities, whatever, could have changed the way the meeting went quite, quite considerably, so could others, but particularly myself, since I, I make the invitations. And in that, through the meeting, hour long or however long it was, one of the things which regist registered to, to me, and the thought arose during the meeting, that some people will feel in a situation, as with this talk as well, quite connected with the flow of it. Feel the rhythm and the flow, follow, track it through, and there may be, hopefully, something of uh, usefulness and nourishing. Sometimes, and uh, I had invited and, and received some notes from the afternoon meeting that we have, feeling of not connection. Not connection to which we appropriately might give reasons for. It's not an area I'm interested in, it could sound too theoretical or or uh, abstract, I was feeling tired, I had something I needed to talk about and I didn't get the opportunity. Many, many sound and solid uh, reasons. In spite of all of that, which happens in many group meetings that you and I participate elsewhere, of course, sometimes, in the rhythm of that, one learns something in another kind of way. One doesn't actually receive 
what one would have wished to receive from the situation. But if there is interest, not so much in the content, but in the overall experience, in what is taking place, it's as though nature says to us, in the nature of things, you can learn in another way. You may not learn in the way that you would like, may one, may one may have really wished to talk about something which was important and, and uh, uh, deeply of concern inside of oneself. The opportunity wasn't provided, there was a gap, understandably, between oneself and a number of others, and even in the gap which is established in such a situation, we can learn something from it. I've learned one thing from, from the meeting. 21 or 22 people is far too big a group for me to cope with. <laughs> and I made a vow, I'm not very good with my vows, but I made a vow <laughs> that it will be half that in future. So in situations, learning can come for all of us if the spirit moves us to say, OK, what can I learn from it? If we don't have that spirit, I do feel, understandably, we can dismiss or reject the totality and miss the opportunity. Somewhere, it might be some expression which is neither materialism, consumerism, this is what I would like for myself, this would be spiritual consumerism, and fundamentalism of believing and going along with whatever is being offered. Two extremes. Both, I suspect, regard as unsatisfactory. In the situation that we have here, there's also, with the silence and the stillnesses which are uh, present to varying degrees, it also offers opportunity. And that opportunity shows itself in movement. And in this case, the movement of feelings, the movement of thoughts and memories and images, the movement of painful occurrences. In the movement of the painful occurrences which arise for us, something again is standing out. Maybe today the boredom has been standing out. Maybe the feelings of disconnectedness have been standing out. So I think all these things need to be regarded as much as possible in, in that attitude of mind which if something is standing out, what's the opportunity present in that for some learning? If I keep saying, this is not good enough, I am not good enough, I am not getting what I want from this situation, in a way we perpetuate the gap. We live in the promise of something more then what's, what's standing out? And we perpetuate this gap because something somewhere isn't being understood about life is a revelation.
We were just in Barrie in Massachusetts. And the, uh, one of the first groups there, in a small group situation, I, one person was telling, as, and others were nodding their head with uh, uh, real agreement, that this person was saying that they felt very tired and that this, they were just waiting for the tiredness to go away. And when, they, when they, the tiredness faded out, then they could really get into their practice and then really could start developing their practice. So the, the experience of the sensation of tiredness, the various reasons given by people like me, people like the person, to support the tiredness, to keep it as an enclosed entity which one would like to pick up and drop beside oneself to have a clearer state, normal human wish there, that my response to this, what a pity, what a pity to neglect the miracle of tiredness, the occurrence, the feeling, the sensation of being tired and to feel what it is just to feel tired. It's an extraordinary feeling to feel this, to feel the body keeling over. It's just to be with the yawns that come and just ooze out into the ethos. The eyes, which, which one is sitting, the eyes are closed. And then the eyeballs begin to kind of recede backwards. <laughs> Attention and seeing and all of these wonderful spiritual themes begin to kind of <laughs> lose interest. And sometimes one can see, one sees in oneself and, and others, just through the eyes. One can tell if the person's here or in bliss. <laughs> and I think some, sometimes we are so set on that little bit better and that little bit more that somehow it obscures tiredness, feeling tired in life. Everybody starts yawning at this point. <laughs> so, we, so in the tradition, in the spirit, spiritual tradition, nameless tradition really, in the spiritual tradition, rather than the extremes of materialism, that means living in the gap, really, and fundamentalism, which is being joined to something with unquestioning belief. Rather than these two, we're endeavouring to explore another way. Because sometimes what we notice, what I have noticed in my church-going days, and some of you may have done too, it's like spirituality, the spirit gets confined to a particular activity, which is the danger here at all, to a particular event. And 
the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the other six days of the week are not really related to that particular. So it gets polarized and all the consequences of the polarization. I don't think the spiritual tradition has said, let's not be concerned with religion, if that is what it is. Any religion. Let's instead see what is our daily life. What is it being alive? What is it? Tears and joy. What is the tiredness and the, the boredom? What is the walking from A to B? What is it to take food, to drink a glass of water, to have a cup of tea, to listen to another talking, to talk oneself? And as it were, from Monday through to Sunday, those sensibilities actually begin to creep in, feed in, to the most ordinary everyday experiences. That the religious life is a life in which brushing one's teeth is the act of worship. Sometimes, I notice myself and uh, some of you in other, other, other ways, it's hard, it seems hard to discover that. Hard to discover taking a step and genuinely, heartfully feeling gratitude, the touch of gratitude for the step. It's hard sometimes, it seems, to be sitting here and sense that grace in life is to be sitting here. It's hard sometimes to, send, to listen to teachings, to share experiences, that all of that is partaking of something which you and I can never really organize. And every time an event takes place which we think we have organized, and we think we have got it right, like a group at two o'clock in the afternoon. Life, that means you and me together, and the circumstances, will show us, ha! <laughs> you be lucky. The very revelation of life shows itself in its disorder. In the fact that we can't have it just so. And this, surely, every sitting, every walking, surely keeps confirming it to us. That we can't have it just so. We can't have it just as we would like. And if we can get a sense of that, not just brain cells sense, but feeling sense, hearts and deeper sense, cellular sense, we get a sense of that. We can't have it as we would like. Where's the gap? What's, what's going to happen to the gap? And yet we've been remarkably honest. As honest as we can be, this is how it is. Sometimes, as I mentioned, sometimes it seems hard. 
seems like the, the, the potency of habit and the re repetition of the habit inhibits the spirit in us. And so, understandably, habit gets, in these kind of circles, very bad press. I have all these habits which I have to get rid of. But nobody can keep the spirit going from wake up tomorrow morning at 5.30. If you wake up full of spirit tomorrow at 5.30, I am suitably impressed. But no one's going to say, oh, I'm going to keep this spirit going, feeling of aliveness and passion for life, running all through the day, through the sitting and the walking. But I think we have an opportunity to, in our free, not being bounded in fundamentalisms, not being bounded in materialisms, the deadening of, of that, to sense and feel through our feelings and sensations, a greater sense of life at a much more subtle level. And sometimes the habit, one knows, one has a, almost, not a moral, but a, a responsibility to work with a habit which keeps repeating itself until one feels one's freedom from the habit. <coughs> Let me give you a small example. A number of you will say, I wouldn't disagree for a moment. Oh, well, it's a typical male example. Some time ago, some time ago, well, I better give you the, the, the background to it. Um, uh, anybody who's been a monk will understand the background extremely well, especially a Buddhist monk, and especially a Buddhist monk in the Theravada tradition. Um, one didn't know that there were kitchens. One rather thought that food grew hot <laughs> and it was put into the begging bowl and it came as a rude awakening uh, in the uh, early part of the 1980s particularly because before that I was living in community and my, my, my friends saw that there seemed to be very little relationship between my brain and my hands and therefore the community tended to do the cooking and uh, I would say I just cook people's minds. And anyway, we won't go into all that. So, come the early 80s, when I was cast into the nuclear family situation, I found myself unwillingly in the kitchen, age 40, for the first time in my life. With lots of advice from people who should know better, and found that every time, the serious point here, every time I was in the kitchen, every time for about a year, the thought arose, I sh could be doing something more important than this. The sensations, whatever, do this, get it over and done with, because I've got more important things to do with my life. And this went on, day in, day out. <laughs> And I'd walk in there and sometimes, you know, I would cook the same meal for three days. I didn't mind, breakfast, lunch, dinner, the same thing, I didn't mind. That was preferable to actually being in the kitchen, cooking. <laughs> you should have seen my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> but 
days went by, weeks went by, and I knew that this period of time in this, Henrietta laughs because she knows the place, in this period of space was as necessary and as valuable for myself as any amount of time that I spent sitting, navel-gazing on the pillow in the monastery in Thailand. And then it finished. It just went. And I knew, over a period of some days, I knew that the habit, the resistance, the unwillingness, the avoidance and all of that had actually gone. It exhausted itself. Before, just before it exhausted me, I might add. <laughs> and the relationship changed. Some people have said my cooking is quite creative, and this is... To hear someone say this of myself is... I still can't get over it. So, as I say, sometimes, let's use the processes of time. Let's acknowledge the habits and the patterns which are there. Let's explore that, let's take an interest in that. And sometimes, even though the habit wasn't causing suffering or pain or anguish or whatever, one just knew the sensation of resistance, unwillingness, hierarchical thinking and so forth, in a way which touches something of the spirit. Stepping out, as it were, of the, of the old into another sense of being with being creative, exploration. And therefore I consider the movement and the explorations that take place is a movement of liberation. It is a movement of freedom. And through the most ordinary, the most subtle, refined, everyday sensations we can discover during these days here, our liberation. It's not inaccessible, it's not a long way down any road, it's much more intimate and close than that. And our liberation and our freedom includes the freedom to explore the habit. It includes that freedom And that's why the lovely thing about the, the tradition, the spiritual tradition, is that it's very, I feel, the best of it. It's very respectful for life, very respectful to the day, to the ordinary and the everyday activities. And one cherishes those, the communications and the silences and the, the, the atmosphere and the meditation and the diet and the morning and the lunch and the evenings. And one feels a appreciation for these things of life. And in that appreciation there's a kind of quiet fulfilment in it. And a fulfilment which is not such that the gap has any real meaning for us. We're not living in the delusion that it's going to be a lot better for us in our life further down the road. We've seen the, how vacuous and how empty and unrealistic it is, because we've paid respect in our totality of our day to the ordinary, and we've had faith with that, 
because it's our life and it's the life of others. May all beings be in touch with the everyday. May all beings explore the ordinary. May all beings understand the nature of the spiritual life. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? <laughs>